Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Lissy Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Keep 100 Radio. Before hopping into this episode, I just want to take a hot second and do a little game of put a finger down. Now, if you don't know how to play this, literally just put three fingers up, and if you resonate with the statement, put that finger down. So number one, put a finger down if you've ever looked at your nutrition, exercise, or lifestyle habits and had that phrase pop up of, I just need to blink. Now go ahead and put another finger down if when we mention the word health, you automatically think of nutrition and exercise. Now last one, put a finger down if you've heard the saying, doing something for 21 days creates a habit and so be it you've tried that and quote unquote failed. I'm guilty of it too. So question, how many fingers do you have left up? If any of them went down, don't worry, you're in the right spot today we have Kelsey. Kelsey helps her clients clear up confusion with nutrition, exercise, and behavior change so that they can get back to focusing on what matters most, embracing their life. With 10 plus years of industry experience and thousands of humans served, Kelsey is skilled in spotting the bullshit before you step in it, keeping you focused on what's most important while working towards your goals. Kelsey has her MBA in human performance, nutrition, exercise, and behavior research, so she is here to teach you new tools, reinforce sound principles, and give you adaptable strategy you need to stop settling for a weight-focused lifestyle when you mean to pursue your well-being. Kelsey, welcome to the show. That was such a sexy introduction. You have a great voice for radio. Thanks. That's what we're here for. You're welcome. (laughs) Do you want to take a hot second and introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. Um, So my formal title is, uh, I have my degree in human performance. So formal title is wellness strategist. I'm basically a um, little personal assistant when it comes to self-care. But in these internet streets, uh, my people know me as the party people's nutritionist. And uh, my focus is helping my work hard, play hard folk really develop a long-term relationship to their self-care, you know, rather than waiting until all hits the fan and then, you know, trying to jump into something then. So that's my whole mission. That's what I've been trying to do. And I love it. Oh, yeah, you're perfect at it. Literally, like I was just saying before the episode even started, like just reading through all of your Instagram posts, which if you don't follow her already, please go follow Kelsey on Instagram. I'll link your, um, link your profile and everything. But one thing that I really like, it was one of your most recent posts that I really loved. It was like, self-care is not uh, purchased. It's, can you, do you practice. remember? It's practice. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm like, that's For amazing. Sure. It's so easy to buy into all of that kind of like the bullshit on uh, like you re- you yeah. scroll through ads and you're getting it I'm like oh I can buy this skincare and it'll make me love myself more you know you right. just I'm like that's self-care <laughs> if I'm prettier I'll appreciate myself right more. Like, that, that's not how that works <laughs> and then I go through this like 10-step routine I'm like is it working <laughs> right I'm like ooh, am I feeling am I loving myself I'm like oh I don't know <laughs> but what what inspired you to get into this behavior change industry or this this 
um, area. Oh my God. I would be lying if I said it was anything other than my own struggles. Um, you know, food and exercise was something I notoriously struggled with, um, to an effect of a disorder actually. So, um, you know, it was a mix of frustration and also just being really tired of my shit. Um, it got to a point where I did all the things, you know, like I did none of the things and was not taking care of myself and was unhappy and then I did, I did the, the checking of the boxes type of health where, you know, I competed in bodybuilding, which everyone think is like, thinks is the pinnacle of health. But like you talk to a career bodybuilder and they're like, it's just like any other professional sport. Like this is an obsession. It's not necessarily healthy. Like mm-hmm. you have to dedicate yourself and, you know, going in, um, you're not always told that. So like a lot of people, I pursued bodybuilding thinking that because I had failed everything else, like I had been a part of MLMs, um, which our friend Bree talks about a lot. And um, I had been a part of those MLMs. I had done the clean eating. I had done all those things. So I was like, oh, well, bodybuilding is going to force me to be disciplined because, you know, like all my clients do too, we go from I'm not eating what I want to be eating to I'm lazy. I'm not disciplined. I'm all these things mm-hmm. that are completely not related to your diet or exercise whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, pursued bodybuilding, got in a mess with that. It, it made things worse. I thought it was going to make me more disciplined. I came out of it with an eating disorder and an exercise disorder that I've worked really hard to, you know, get out of. So that was really what sparked my interest is, um, I'm, I'm very independent to a fault. I'm working on that. <laughs> um, but I pursued my master's degree. Um, it really pissed the Dean off of my program because everyone's trying to go into their master's to prereq into research kind of field of things. And I was just, I just wanted it for my own understanding. I wanted, I wanted to, you know, biohack myself. I wanted to mentally hack my brain and get the consistency I could never find. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what ended up going down. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, oh my God, like I'm on the same train that so many people were on. And now that I've been able to like get off of that and see what's going on clearly. I can't shut up about it. Cause I'm just like, I'm trying to save people from themselves. I'm like, don't do it. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's like how the best coaches are made. It's like you go through it yourself and you understand how it feels like for my community specifically, I piss a lot of people off because I don't believe in like the low carb solutions to diabetes management. I think that's just an avoidant technique to like manage your blood sugars. So Mm -hmm. when like, but it's because I've been there, I've tried to do that by avoiding all carbs. And for me, that just made me feel so restricted and just hate my body more because I, I resented it so much. I'm like, I resent this diagnosis. I resent my body for all the things that it can't do. So now I'm like, wait, but there are better ways to do this. And I just think that's the the way that thing should be like you you experience it yourself and you acknowledge that you know this isn't the only way even though that's kind of what society tells us and it's not always the most um sustainable or realistic even absolutely absolutely and it and that's kind of the uh mind f if you will 
I cuss like a sailor, but I'm not going to do it on your podcast. Um, But that's the mind F there is the things that we're told to do and just kind of in mainstream viral, you know, like the, they say type of advice is like, okay, but who are they? (laughs) And do they have qualifications? Um, But even people with qualifications, there's just so much noise to the point of, even if you're reading good information, it, the good application is not being paired with it. So it's like, you know, and I'm sure you face this as well. It's kind of that uh, diagnosis version of going into the doctor and your doctor just being like, well, you're not adhering. So you're, you're not complying with the program. And that's such like a dig to people because people are really out here trying, like they're struggling, they're they're turning to self-hatred out of frustration Um, And it's just so demeaning. And then you get the same thing from a personal trainer. It's like, well, I told you what to do and you're not doing it. So you're just, you're not complying to this program and it's devastating. And I think you and I both have this vision of, Hey, if you have to live with the circumstances that you're given, let's make sure that we can make it the best it can possibly be. Yes, exactly. And I, I'm really glad that you put in that perspective of like, so again, I'm going to kind of tie it back to the audience that might be listening who are mostly type 1 diabetics, we get that all the time in our endo's office, our doctor's office. It's like, well, are you ad- adhering to the per- like the prescription that we laid out, the plan that we laid out, and in the context of the personal trainer? Like, that's not considering all of the other life shit that's happening. Like, it's not considering oh. your, like, are you a mom that has three kids and, like, you're running around all the time or you're an entrepreneur and, like, things pop up, like, you're putting out fires all day. It's just not considering any of the other things that are just part of the human experience, which I think is so important to acknowledge. Absolutely. Same page all the way. I love it. So, okay, like we are in this kind of time period. We're in December. um, So going into the new year, and this is where I see it a lot, specifically in like advertising, all the ads, all the, you know, even like we can quickly get into that mentality of like, okay, I need to find another plan. I need to find another program that will just like get me get me quick started into the new year so like coming from your expertise like why do you think it's so easy for us to jump on those quick fixes but it's hard to commit to the actual sustainable changes Mm. yeah that that's a hard question because I think for everyone it's it's different but I will speak to uh, what a lot of my clients have struggled with which is who wants to wait to feel better Like who wants to wait for a solution? Because that's the big thing here is like when we reach that state of decision-making and having a background in behavior change, which I think all health professionals should have, like if if your people are reliant on consistency for their success and compliance, if we want to call it that, um, we should, those professionals and, and those leadership people should be getting training in behavior change. Um, in order to make that successful. But like one thing to keep in mind and why that's so crucial is because when behavior, when a change is about to happen, usually it's after hitting a place of frustration. Frustration is one of those things that like anytime a client hits it, I'm like, you know what's happening. Um, And they're like, oh yeah, I'm about to go through a transition. I need a change. So I think one of those big things is like we hit that point of frustration and for a lot of us, I know for myself and for you, it it can get beyond frustration to a point of desperation. Mm-hmm. And when you get in that point, um, 
you know, it's, it's a space where you're most likely to commit, but it's also a space where you're exhausted. And um, we don't want to get there and then find out that we have to be even more patient <laughs> and we have to, you know, because that's sustainable, like that, that keyword, that viral word of sustainability or lasting change or long-term commitments, you know, these are words I'm very adamant about using so that when people come to me for help, they know what they're getting into. Like, I'm not going to sign off on your quick fix. Like we're going to get to the root. We're going to do some hard work. Um, but you know, when you get to that place, you want that relief, you want that immediate solution. And, and a lot of these quick fixes and a lot of these jump starts and challenges and everything, they really, um, they really appeal to people who are in that state of desperation and they appeal to the benefits without actually being clear about what it entails to get there. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't get there in that 21 days or in that, you know, three day jump start. well, then there's just something wrong with you. Clearly, you know, right. and so it's like, it's very hard. It's kind of this very weird place that that origin of why do people lean towards quick fixes versus sustainable options? I mean, that's the human condition right there. You know, we need help. We're desperate for help. A lot of us live in, uh, you know, a cultural presence of a societal idea that like asking for help is weakness. All of these compounding problems that, again, like you said, don't get taken into consideration, one, when people are placing expectations on people, but we also do it to ourselves, Yeah, you know, where we're like, well, if it's not a quick fix, then it's not the right answer. And that's not always the case, or we discredit that if something isn't immediate, that we're doing something wrong. And really it's like society that failed us because the most precious things in life, like not everything has to be a struggle. That's not what I'm saying, but things take effort, you know, and, um, it's just easy to lean into those false promises because I mean, let's be real. There are people, you know, there are zealots out there. There are grifters. There are people who are trying to sell you something that they're not even qualified to provide you or promise you. Oh, yes. And we'll think about it, too. Like when we're scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is, we're kind of like everything is anecdotal. Everything's just like you're scrolling across a feed and you're seeing a before and after picture or you're seeing a 30 second reel where it's like, oh, I started here and now here I am and you can do it, too, which is like, okay, for the sake of inspiration, totally great. I love like I love sharing my story. But at the end of the day, when that's all that you have to your credibility like is that really credible at the end of the day and it's creating that false narrative of like oh like snapping my fingers it'll happen when in reality like it's a lot of unlearning a lot of like behavior change is not like to your point a checklist mentality it's not that like 75 hard those kind of programs hate them because that's not realistic and it's not that as easy as it comes off right right and I think that um Another thing to keep into consideration is when we're in those places of desperation, we are vulnerable to that messaging. And that's not a matter of being weak minded. That's not a matter of like, oh, you didn't do your research. It's like as a researcher who knows how to do actual quality researching and things like that, I'm like, we're just we're blaming people for things that are beyond their influence um, because everyone, every single human being is susceptible and vulnerable when they're in a place of frustration and desperation. 
And so we owe it to each other, especially as professionals, to not gaslight people who are honestly trying to seek out a solution just to take their money and be like, okay, I coached you. It's like, I always ask with these before and after transformations, these nonstop weight loss coaches who think weight loss is just a virtue of health, which Mm -hmm. is not true. I'm like, how are your clients after they stopped working with you? Right. That's what I want to know. Show me (laughs) like a year after, like, where are they then? I've gotten that question too before, like on consultation calls, I get that question of like, well, what happens after my program is 10 weeks? What happens after that that 10 weeks? I'm like, actually, I'm really glad that you asked that. Let me put you in contact with them because I want you to know coming straight from them. Like, and that's what a lot of things are missing. It's like that after like, okay, great. Few weeks here, but what comes next? That's accountability right there. Yep. Yep. So, okay, you had just um, mentioned weight loss not being a kind of like um, picture of success. And I know that on like in your coaching, you talk a lot about how like exercise and nutrition are not the only means of health. So when it comes to wellness or or health, why isn't it just simply nutrition and exercise? So for that portion, um, we have to consider we're about, we're about to get into it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love so it. For one, this goes into what I teach a lot, which is just the social determinants of health. Um, and if you're not familiar with the social determinants of health, it's a model that explains how, oh God, I'm about to use, about to use these keywords holistically. Um, there is this, uh, you know, ecosystem of healthy living, if you want to call it that. I try to stay away from health versus unhealthy a lot because there's a lot of ableist language in there. Um, But whenever it comes to food and exercise, I think at least people like myself who have done everything, checked the boxes, did the clean eating, did all of that. um, I, I, you know, I tell people all the time, I've met a lot of miserable people with a six pack, like just Tuning into your food and exercise is not going to make you feel better about yourself. Just like applying a skincare is not going to make you feel better about yourself. Um, And if we're just talking about biological necessity, you know, food and exercise is one thing, but you know, your central nervous system, that's a complex mechanism with a lot of functions, a lot of influence on your body. Um, And we cannot, 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 cannot just completely negate the outside influences on your life um, in the name of what are your food and exercise choices looking like? It's like, yeah, okay, you can have these things, but you can still find yourself with illness, disease, um, chronic issues. Not a single one of us is going to escape death at the end of the day either. Like it's not going to save you. It's not Mm going to keep you, you know, there are no promises with it, but we're sold this idea that food and exercise really is the only thing that matters. And it's, it gets labeled with all these things. It's not actually capable of doing like living a longer and healthy life. It's like, yes, the research shows that quality of life is better when your needs are met, but you have more needs than just that food and exercise piece. And in that social determinants of health model, um, food and exercise only qual- uh, qualifies as 15% of what we would consider a healthy lifestyle or, or factors for uh, a quality of life, overall healthy well-being. And that's 15% combined. Food and exercise combined form that 15%. 
We have other thing, things like uh, quality medical care. Uh, I talk about this on the behavior change side of things a lot um, in my education pieces, which is uh, support. Having a sense of community, that's actually number one for your health outside of your basic needs being met. So a lot of times whenever someone asks me that question, like, why, why do you teach that it's not just food and exercise? And it's like, well, it depends on who I'm giving that information to, because if it's someone that is financially unstable trying to get on their feet, yeah, we're just going to talk about getting your needs met with food, water, mm-hmm. you know, stress relief movement. But whenever your needs are met, we have to talk about more than that. We have to talk about the quality of your relationships. We have to talk about um, stress management outside of just bodily care. Yeah, I am so glad that you brought that up because like, so uh, on a personal narrative, which I just kind of said, like, (laughs) don't take anecdotal, you know, words of advice, but coming from like my, my own history that's exactly how I got into this space because I was doing all the things like I had a great, you know, quote unquote, great job. I had, I was living on my own. I, you know, was eating healthy every day. I was exercising every day after work. And that was at a point where I was actually in the worst health of my life. That's when I was diagnosed with diabetes for four, I was four years into my diagnosis. And on top of that, I was just recently diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which now looking back, I'm like, well, yeah, after years and years of stress on my body, that made sense. And I went hand in hand. Right, exactly. And it wasn't until like, it was a year after that diagnosis, I had moved home from, I was living in Miami at the time. I moved home so I could be closer to my family. I switched jobs like so I went more into health and wellness as I want to learn more about like my body I um, got into a good relationship I was in a very very toxic relationship before I was closer to my friends I was in a better environment I was focusing on my spirituality all these things that like I know you use like the quote-unquote like holistic but when I know that when we're talking about holistic that's what we're talking about we're talking about like that 360 you know angle And it wasn't until I started focusing on those external things rather than just food and exercise. That's when I like my blood sugars were the best that they were. So my A1C, which is an indicator of, you know, our average blood sugars that went down to like a great range for me. Um, My Crohn's went into remission and I all around like felt felt so much more energetic because I was focusing on more than just, okay, what's going into my body and how am I expending my energy essentially. So I'm really, really glad that you put in that context. Yeah, like thank you for sharing that too because you that's such an important part that you're highlighting is it's not just what you're doing because whenever we're hyper fixating on food and exercise oh, a lot of that time it's because we feel out of control in other areas of our life and we can internalize that and it just feels like okay, well, if I can't fix it then let me just like really make sure that the things within my control are completely within my control and that I am completely asserting them. And that's where we become hypervigilant in all the wrong ways towards things that can't fix the issues we're actually dealing with or feeling. And like you said, naturally, that's going to wear on your body. Like we have long-term studies that show us chronic stress is a high indicator for a lot of, uh, a lot of issues, both Mm -hmm. interpersonally, biologically, there's all these different um, ramifications to 
not looking at the right solutions to, to give you the right feedback. And for you and me, that was a trial and error and a learning experience. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, they live that way for the rest of their lives, not knowing that there is an alternative, that there is another way to go about these things. Yeah. I know I didn't know. <laughs> well, who's talking about it in re like yeah. in reality? Us and small accounts in yeah. the corners of Instagram. <laughs> so we're here. <laughs> yes. But I mean, in reality, like it's not the sexy thing to talk about when people are like, oh, I'm focusing on this thing. And you're like, but there's more to it. Nobody wants to hear that. So no. I, I get it. And the number of clients that have come to me after following me for two years, because they're like, yeah, 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 screw you. That's not true. Like, oh, I want something to fix now. And you're mm -hmm. telling me I just need to take it a step at a time. Like, no. They're like, absolutely not, you know, and then they go and do all the, you know, personal trainers and the meal plans and the whole 30s and the 75 cards and all that. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they come back, they're like, Mm, okay, you were right. And uh, I would love <laughs> to work together. I'm like, okay, good. You know, we're starting off from a different place than we would have. And, you know, I wish I could have saved you all of that. But here we are. And let's just do the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's like an, that unfortunate reality, but it's, it's important. And hopefully people find you before all that happens, because it, it is time and energy and financially like so such a commitment to find things that aren't working for you and sometimes it's part of the process but we're here yeah. now so we're here now <laughs> started from the bottom now we're here yeah, literally <laughs> so okay another thing that you talk about a lot is that the, there's a whole conception um online that you know it takes 21 days to build a habit and i was definitely a victim to this and i've probably in throughout the years may have had this in my messaging um before uh not gonna like point we all did point, we all did um but why why isn't that actually true there's a lot of reasons that is not actually true one of the main reasons being that um just as a blanket statement people like to say the word habit when they actually mean to say behavior because changing a behavior is one thing. And we also have a lot of research on that. But to form a habit, that's a whole nother beast. Mm -hmm. um, because habits are, they're, they have a couple of qualifiers. This isn't a has to be checked box for a qualifier, but most of your habits are subconscious. And I don't know anyone who is just subconsciously driving to the gym. Like it's True. not happening. Um, you might, you know, black out on the way there and end up there and be like, how did I drive here? That is an example of a habit. But mostly everything else that has some type of intention and needs to be planned around your schedule and life and obligations and stress levels and everything else, that's when we're talking about behaviors. And um, the research that we have on behavior change tells us that, you know, Actually, let me back up here for a second. Uh, where these little 21 day, whatever, you know, things get thrown out is a lot because we read these one off studies or let's be real. Most of us are not even reading the study. We're hearing like a successful or notable person's philosophy on the concept of food or exercise and like what makes a successful person or a successful day or a successful week. Um, and we, we take that and we expect it to translate directly to us. 
Mm. But what we don't realize is, okay, let's just entertain this. 21 days is not a research founded outcome, but, um, you know, we take that 21 day statement and we forget that even if we did everything to the T, there's no way it's going to come out the same way because we're not living in a controlled experiment and we're not living in someone else's shoes. We're living in the messy middle of our own lives with our own, you know, like you said, the, all the shit to deal with. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that's one thing. And so even if, even if you're using quality information, let's say you are reading the research, right? Even if you're using quality information, um, it's not going to happen according to the textbook ever. That's just not how life works. That's not what's going to happen. And like you said, you know, we were, we both were into this because a lot of times the people who come out of that thinking are the ones who are most committed to it because we fought for it. It's like, we were like, okay, well, it's just us. It's us. It's us. It's us. We're blaming ourselves. So we tried every single way you could possibly imagine to force ourselves to comply to whatever it was we thought we were supposed to be doing. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it gets, it gets hard because people will read these studies or hear these statements. And what we tend to forget, and this is more on like, you know, the clinical research side, but like, we have to look at research as a body, as a whole, what does the whole body of research say? We can't just pluck out a statement or pluck out one study and say, oh, this proved it's 21 days. Oh, this one proved it's 30. Oh, this one proves blah, 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 blah. Um, So my professional opinion for those listening, one, if you're trying to form a habit or someone's like, oh, this is a habit, it's probably not. Two, <laughs> if you want to interrupt a behavior, the we have to look at the body of research and what the body of research says. And the, the body says that it takes, it can take up to six months to change one behavior. And that's not even to form it into a habit. It's not even to no, form it into a habit. Hear. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, uh, that, that one has a lot of layers as well, mm-hmm. as far as like, why is this not true? And again, just like anything else, it's stuff that's been taken out of context and profited off of because people will buy the quick solution. People will buy because they're looking for a solution. Right. So um, that's how we tend to get wrapped up into that too. Yeah, it definitely makes it easy. And, but I think it's important to have those, you know, very, like my whole thing is transparency, right? And that's when it comes down to, you know, even as coaches or products or whatever it is, it's like leading with transparency in that after 21 days, if if something's not resolved, it's not your fault because we have such that pass or fail mentality. And I've been through it too, you know, like we've, we all have, and it's not our fault. It's just really great marketing and really great sales techniques and we buy into it. And unfortunately it makes us beat up ourselves about it, but you know, it doesn't have to be that case. But absolutely. Yeah. Now and I say that to my clients too is like, you know, let's say it was your fault. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is where we're starting from then. Cool. Let's, you know, let's figure out another way. Let's figure out another path. Let's try something else. You know, it's it's not a dead end if it does end up being your fault or if it's not, like we can still have self-compassion for the situation. And I, that's something I'm working on personally over the last year is understanding that I don't need to understand something in order to meet it with compassion, whether it be 
another person, myself, what have you. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get hooked up is, you know, we're so bought into this bad quality information and bad quality approaches. And then we are beating ourselves up whenever it doesn't work out. And it almost is like completing the thing on the timeline that was set for you instead of on your own timeline then becomes the success rather than the thing that you were trying to work on, which is just like, oh God, we, you know, we've missed the plot point. It just goes right over the head. And then all of a sudden we feel bad for something that wasn't even the focus to begin with. It wasn't the point. Right. Exactly. And like, maybe, maybe the point isn't that you're a failure or you failed or, or whatever it is. Maybe the point becomes, let's use this as information for like, was that goal actually tangible for us? Or like, what are the roadblocks? And like, how can we use that as more information now? Do we need to change the goal a little bit? Do we need to modify it, modify our our path to it? Like, there's so many ways to use that as more information for moving forward rather than just, oh, well, now on to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. So going into the new year, so we're in this whole like, new year new me mentality (laughs) and you know it's common but you know what I want to hear from you is what are the most common mistakes that you see happening during this time leading up to you know new year's day that aren't quite realistic um like from your perspective yeah okay yeah um well, for one, new year, new me is intoxicating. Like, I think we all kind of get the, you know, little butterflies a little bit because it's like, oh, a new beginning. We love a fresh start. We love a fresh start. Always. It feels like spring cleaning. It's the best. Um, but yeah, to your point, there are a lot of things that we kind of fall into. And I find around this year, um, you know, and it happens to me too. I'm sure you still have these experiences as well. Um, the holidays come around and it's kind of like, even if you've worked through not having food anxiety, it's like other people's food anxiety can give you food anxiety or like other people's self-consciousness about their body image can like have you being like, oh my God, like, should I be questioning this? Should I be thinking about this? Um, So leading up to new years, I find that a lot of people just kick themselves while they're down, like from November all the way through the end. And it's very typical of our culture to binge restrict, binge restrict, like whether it's spending money, whether it is, um, you know, like food, body, anything, we just have this mentality of like, go hard, then go harder. And you ultimately end up going home. So it's like, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, we treat ourselves as if we're indestructible and we're not. So one of the mistakes I see people make, um, is actually spurring, even if they're not dealing with an eating disorder, um, I, I can speak for myself and my own experience in, in this light is that I didn't know I had eating and exercise disordered behaviors Until I came across, you know, a therapist in college who was like, hey, these qualified for like an eating disorder. Like what you're saying to me qualifies you for this, this and that. And I was like, what do you know? What? (laughs) Well, when it's so normalized to do those things, like when you like you're talking about bodybuilding, like that's a culture where it's so normalized to have restrictive behaviors. Right. And like we see, again, 
social media, all of these influencers doing the same things, why would we think that's wrong? Exactly, exactly. But just be, you know, just like, uh, just because something is promoted as healthy does not mean that it innately is. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really have to interrogate that because that's just a belief. That doesn't mean it's a fact, right. you know, um, but it permeates. I mean, it's in, it's everywhere. It's been normalized, even though it's not healthy. Yes, it is normal, but no, it is not a good thing to do. And we see it with advertising, like on Grubhub, you know, they're like, oh, it's the holidays. Like before you go on a diet, why don't you order this food, whatever. Um, and so it, it permeates everywhere. But leading up to, I find that one thing that people really, really stumble into hard. And I know I did nonstop every holiday season is starting that, that restriction. And then like overindulging cycle right out the gate where it's like, if you overate at Thanksgiving, oh, okay. It starts with something seemingly small, seemingly not harmful. Like I'm going to skip breakfast tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then as you move into like uh, Christmas and all of that or whatever holiday you end up celebrating around this time of year, we have a lot more social gatherings and we're a very individualistic culture. So it's kind of like this overindulgence of support and community as well. And we just kind of bask in it. And then it's so different from our everyday life that whenever we turn around, we're like, oh gosh, I got to go get it back together. I got to tighten things up. I got to skip some meals, do some extra gym sessions and it's just this overall mentality that's like, I have to make up for being more than I think I should be or having more than I think I should have. Mm -hmm. and it's like, what would happen if after, you know, you overate the next day, even if your appetite wasn't there, you just had a little something in the morning, right? What, what would it look like to not jump on to intermittent fasting just because you stepped on the scale after you're bloated and holding water from a big meal and you freak out and you're like, Oh my gosh, I have to get rid of this. It's like, no, you don't. And like, as you and I know, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, this isn't the point, but we know it'll take care of itself. We're like, your body will even back out once yeah. you get into your regular routines. Like this is temporary. You don't need to freak out. Yeah. But aside from that, it's like the weight gain is not, is not the focus. <laughs> like that's not what we want to elicit. Cause it's like, that doesn't really matter but also it's the thing that people are freaking out about and think they need to quote unquote fix, even right. though you and I know there's nothing to fix here. Right. This is because this isn't a problem in yeah. the first place. So some advice that I have for people to start immediately is don't start until the new year. That's where we really stumble in consistency. It's actually one of those things that prevents true behavior change. Um, because you lean into like this place of adherence instead of true change. So what I mean by that is like um, overhauling your entire life over the course of a Monday, um, which the principle in behavior change that gets annihilated here is you're changing too many behaviors at once. And we think it's no big deal. Like, oh, I'm just going to change what I'm eating. It's like, yeah, but what are you actually doing when you do that? Okay. Mm -hmm. You're changing possibly your meal times which means you might be changing your wake and bedtimes. Um, you're changing the way you grocery shop, the type of meals that you're planning for the week, um, different cooking, uh, you know, methods, yeah. like you're cooking differently. Um, and then on top of that, if it's exercise related, 
you're interrupting your schedule yet again. And it's not to say that any of those things are necessarily bad or that, um, you know, people aren't capable of doing those things. But like I tell people, just because you are able doesn't mean that you should, Um, because there's a difference between ability and capacity. Mm -hmm. And we have to recognize that it's not just us that's making the change, like your central nervous system and your brain and your body, they have to adapt to those changes too. And that's stress, whether we recognize it as that or not. Right. Oh, it just is. And even if it's subconscious, which is the worst kind of stress, (laughs) you know, it's sitting there. Yeah, I like that. I I didn't even really think about that whole ripple effect of just, you know, okay, I want to eat healthier turns into all these different things in every area of your life that you're not considering. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, no wonder why it feels exhausting to think about doing the same thing tomorrow or the whole next week. So exactly. Where would be like what would be your advice on like if somebody has that overarching goal of like, okay, I want to eat healthier or I want to do like X, Y, or Z. How can they get started without perpetuating that all or nothing mentality? Yeah, um, I encourage people to get really, really excited because it's like we we have that rush of adrenaline almost in the new year, new me. And it's the same mentality that happens when we go into overhauling everything on a Monday. We stick we stick a, you know, a little pillar in the ground and go, it's happening then because we're almost building up to it. It's like planning a trip. Like we're going to do all the packing and get excited and like maybe even stay up really late the night before because who cares? We're on vacation (laughs) tomorrow. Same thing with like, you know, people hopping on these very restrictive diets. It's like, okay, let me like eat all the things I want to eat leading up to. And that in itself is, is not setting you up for success, right? Like that in itself is teaching you that like food is inherently bad Mm -hmm. or that certain foods have morality, like this is good, this is bad. So I recommend that people not jump on a jump start. Don't do challenges. Don't do these things. Don't follow other people's plans. Like don't sign on to that fitness influencers meal plan and exercise challenge for the month of January. Like say, screw that to all of that. Um, because it's not going to work for you because it wasn't made for you that, you know, these, these people didn't make these plans with you in mind. I'm right. sorry. <laughs> That's the most blunt way to put it, you know? Yeah. Like it's not, it's not for you, mm-hmm. you know, but like I teach my, my clients, there are principles though, that really are for everyone. How you implement them is very individual. It has to be yeah. tailored to right. you. So what I tell people is, Take the same kind of anticipation and excitement and funnel all of that into a very focused and intentional effort, Mm -hmm. like one thing. So for example, if you're wanting to get into a more consistent exercise routine, uh, my clients do not start by exercising. I use the progression regression model and I teach them this as well so they can do it for themselves. But um, if they're wanting to start a goal where, you know, we assess, like, are you actually ready to start this? Like, if you're working out zero times this week, are you really going to go do a five workout, Mm -hmm. you know, five workouts next week? You might for a couple of weeks, but then you're going to fall off. Remember now. Um, So where we start is like, okay, where's your food? Where's your hydration? Where's all these things that have to be present in order for exercise to be recovered from? 
Because if you're not recovering from that exercise, your body is not going to allow you to keep pushing yourself like that. And you're going to get tired, burned out, whatever. So if those things aren't good yet, we start there. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, let's just do two weeks. And your goal is to eat all of your meals. Let's just do that. Then once we're ready and like our water is good, our sleep is good, our, our food is good. It, consistent. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I'm not policing. I have adults as clients. I don't tell them what to eat. They know what they want to eat. Um, Beautiful. <laughs> but once we get there where I know they're getting calories, they're getting water, um, you know, all of that stuff, then we can say, okay, next week, I just want you to maybe block out a time where you go for a walk three to four days a week. Let's hit two birds, one stone, give you a little break from work. And we make that consistent. Once that's consistent, then we go, okay, two of those walks. Now that we've reserved that time, which is why we're doing that because it helps the brain. It's a very intentional, very tiny action that can feel really insignificant, but it allows the brain to anchor into a new routine even if you haven't done the thing yet. Right. So it's like a warm up for the brain. So if we can take like these very, very small steps, probably smaller than people realize they need to go and protect that time first, practice protecting that time, practice forming boundaries around protecting that time. Then we can, you know, get the walks in, get the activity in. Then we can transform two of those already protected time and places to up the intensity. And now we're going to get into workout mode. And now we can make that consistent because we didn't overstimulate our central nervous system. We didn't jump into poor recovery that burnt us out. We didn't overstress ourselves. And now look at us. And now whenever we get back from vacation or holiday or whatever, I live this in my everyday life. You know, I'm in it right now. I'm like, okay, I got out of my exercise routine. So what did I do last week? I protected my time and I just did activity. I danced yep. in my living room. <laughs> right. What What's yeah. the worst and case this scenario? Week I'm getting back into the gym. So it's right. like, and it's fine. Like I'm not freaking out. I haven't worked out since before Thanksgiving. And I'm like, okay, like this isn't the rest of my life. I can, you know, ease back in and it's yep. low stress. Yeah. It has more consistency long-term. Um, and it becomes a true part of lifestyle because it just comes a part of how you move rather than constantly freaking out that if you stop, you don't trust yourself to start again. Yes. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think and it sounds, it can sound counterproductive of like, oh, okay, now I have to look at all these things before I even get to movement. But the, like in reality, just like you said, it's protecting that time. And what's the worst case then? Okay, I don't work out this day, but I still have that time carved out for my walk. That's better than nothing. I always mm -hmm. say, like, I have so many clients that come to me and they're like, I want to be just consistent. But at the end of the day, like, consistency has to be flexible. If it's not flexible, you're not going to be consistent because it's going to be yes. all or nothing. So oh, I love that so much. And that's that fine line, too. Um, something I teach in my program is there's different types of consistency. So people, just like people have this hard concept of like what consistent exercise looks like or what clean eating looks like or whatever. And we completely negate the context that, hey, how stressed are you? Hey, do you even have space for five workouts a week? And it's like, well, I'm going to make time. I'm going to make space. I'm like, okay, are you father time? I don't think so. <laughs> You're just going to manifest that? Right, sure right. you are. Um, but it's like, 
we get into these modes of forcing ourselves um, into the plan or into the structure rather than the other way around. Like it's supposed to fit into your life. And if consistency and forming consistency is making healthy habits harder or is like um, really making things difficult, then it's not healthy for you. Mm-hmm. And we have to we have to loosen up that definition of consistency um, because there's all different types of consistency. There's like, uh, you know, routines, which I think most that's like 90, there's not a real statistic, but like 99% <laughs> of people think that consistency is just a routine doing, right. which is doing the same thing at the same time on the same days. Da, 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 da. And yes, but also there's, there's like an and in there yeah. and there is consistency from things like rituals. So you may not do it at the same time every day, but a ritual can just be a practice. So maybe you do it three times a week and every week that schedule can change or that's, or that uh, modality, whether it's dancing in your living room or going to the gym, like we can be more flexible with the ritual of moving our body instead of having such a restrictive, um, constringent, just like concept of what perfection looks like with the routine. Right. Um, and then another one that I really have my clients take advantage of is, uh, like circumstantial situational consistency. If then statements, if you can Mm -hmm. think of it that way. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I overeat with family one night, then I have a smaller meal in the morning instead of no meal. Or if I'm on vacation and and can't exercise, then I ask my partner to go on a couple of walks in the morning. Not to say that you have to move if you're on vacation. I'm not of I'm not of that mentality, right. but like just as an example, yeah. um, we need to loosen up our terms of consistency because what what people are shooting for when I hear someone say, "I just want to be consistent," I'm like, "Let's be real, my dear. You want perfection, and that doesn't." exist. Right. Um, and you can't do all of the things all of the time. Like we talked about earlier, there's social determinants of health, like food and exercise is not the only thing that needs to be on your radar when it comes to your quality of life. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that you need to add more to your plate. It's to say that what's circumstantial, what actually fits the need. If mm-hmm. you're feeling bad about yourself, then hate exercising your body away at the gym that day probably isn't what you actually need when it comes to your self-care support. You might need to get a friend's perspective to challenge how you're thinking about yourself. You might need to schedule an extra therapy session that week. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's almost like viewing consistency as in self-care as what are my options Yes. and how do I maintain these options rather than trying to say, well, I have to do all of these things. And if I don't get them done every day or every week, you know, then I'm setting myself up for failure. Yeah, I love that. I used to get really overwhelmed by, I just said this in the podcast I recorded the other day, but I used to get really overwhelmed by all the options that I have. And now it's like empowering because it's like, okay, I'm feeling this or like this is an area that I know is kind of not feeling supported right now. What are my options to support that? And then you mm-hmm. go from there and that's that's really it. Like yeah. it's just like one you thing. said earlier, we're taking in information, right. see it yep. information instead of like, a determination of your character right. <laughs> like yes. you are you know we have to we have to create space yep. between those ideas and in our mind too yep I love that 
All right. So final question. We So the name of this podcast is Keep 100 Radio Uncensored Diabetes Conversations, which this isn't necessarily diabetes conversation, but lo and behold. Um, mm-hmm. But what would be your biggest piece of either uncensored advice or uncensored statement that you can make as it relates to this conversation that you give everyone? Oh, oh. I didn't put this one in your email. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I love this. I love these kind of questions. Um, I tend to be a philosophical type of individual, so <laughs> I'm just going to pick one. I'm just going to pick one. Um, uh, it probably doesn't matter. And if it does, you will figure it out in your own time. Mm. Ooh, I love it. I think that's what that's the one that just came to me. So I'm like, I feel like that could apply to a lot of situations. But just overall, like, you may not have built trust with yourself. But if you haven't, like, you're gonna pick up the skills along the way, as long as you're intentional, and like, it will be figured out. It just might not be on the timeline you wanted it to be. Mm. And whatever timeline it is, it's perfect. So I love that. It's fine. How do you support your clients and where can everybody find you if they want to learn more? Ooh, um, uh, what do you mean by how I support my clients? What do you want specifically? Um, yeah. So like, what do you, what do you offer? How do you work with them? Um, yeah, just anything that you do. Um, so with my clients, I have a couple of different options. I do, uh, because the research says so it's a six month program. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so it's six months plus some people stay longer. Um, I have some veterans with me that are like, I don't want to be without you. So I'm never leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Like stay. (laughs) It could if they wanted to though, just saying. Um, but yeah, so I support with a six month program called the long-term relationship, um, through my find your way coaching programs. So I help people really navigate what works for them, those tailored solutions. So, uh, like a lot of, your people, it's like they may be even given a plan by their doctor and they need help adhering to it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I, I've had so many clients. I work with their doctors, registered dietitians, et cetera. And we just kind of get to work on what do you want to do? And let's figure out how that works for your life. And then educating along the way. Like I give my clients nutrition education, exercise science education just the principles, like doesn't need to be complicated. If they want something a little bit more nuanced, I have um, immediate support options where they can do like a 30 minute session with me to pick my brain. So it's very calm, very fluid. I work on my clients' timelines. We meet twice a month. So that's how I support. Um, And then everyone can find me on Instagram. I'm not consistent in the traditional sense on Instagram. I kind of loathe social media. Um, but the place you really want to be, I encourage you to go to my Instagram or my website and sign up for my newsletter at the bottom of the website page, because that's where I really get into stuff. That's my free resource I provide. Um, and it's very, very education dense and application friendly, very tangible advice for real life situations. So I always encourage people you want to get to know me and you want to, you know, learn some shit along the way, get on the newsletter. That's best place to start. Amazing. I will link them both um, in the show notes of this episode. And just thank you so much for coming on. This was uh, just so good. And I think just really, you know, we we were able to dive right into why things don't work. And it's just a refreshing conversation because, again, 
we already talked about it, but social media can be really overwhelming when it comes to this stuff. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. You're a gem in this world, Lissy. And I'm honored to be able to have this conversation with you and really break it out for people too. Like, this was great. Amazing. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much.